non-benders alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And we're pretty excited today, Varney. In case you missed it, over the weekend at our Braving the Elements live show at San Diego Comic-Con, we announced the exclusive thrilling news that the first feature-length Avatar Studios film will focus on Aang and his friends. We are so excited, and we know you are too. For future breaking news on all things in the Avatarverse, well, you're just going to have to subscribe and keep on listening. So today, pretty major episode of Avatar to discuss. Basically, the ushering in of the era of Toph. We said yes. it before, we'll say it again. Yes, yes, Toph is one of the most beloved characters in the Avatarverse, and for good reason. Oh, yeah. And there are a ton of other great characters we meet in book two. Yes, indeed. Like May, for example. Now, last May's week you cool. were on set, D. May's cool. May's cool. Of course, you were on set, so I chatted with the wonderful Cricket Lee, who played May. And it was such a wonderful conversation. She's such a brilliant and caring person. And keeping with the trend of voiceover actors not matching their character personalities, uh, I have to report that Cricket is just so vibrant. You know, she's so alive totally. and vibrant and has this, like, very, very happy energy. So, you know what? Maybe May will grow into that someday, too. And you know what? They both got that cool voice. That cool raspy yeah. voice. Oh, I wonder why you like a raspy voice. I, I like wonder raspy why voices. you like a raspy voice. But we're also just fine with May being exactly who she is, Varney. You know, she's Absolutely. that cool emo girl. That's right. But now for this week's episode, the best possible scenario would be to bring in someone who had a hand in making this episode happen. And because we know the right people and we could pull a string or two, I feel like we can definitely deliver. That's right, buddy. We are so, so excited to be welcoming for the first time to the podcast, the director of The Blind Bandit, Ethan Spaulding. Hello, Ethan, yeah. Hey. What's up? Welcome to the podcast, Ethan. Hey, thanks for having me so much. I'm excited. This is one of my favorite episodes. Oh, so. good. Oh, that's This so is one great. of the whole fandom's favorite episodes, for sure. Absolutely. Did we figure out this is the number one? Remember when I polled the audience at the beginning of season two of this podcast, I asked, and it turned out that the Blind Bandit was the number one answer of the episode that people were most excited about in the entirety of book two. And it's their favorite episode. So, Ethan, bravo. Bravo, oh, Thank Ethan. you, guys. Bravo. Thanks so much. Yeah, Toph is such a great character. And just luck of the draw as the scripts came out, like be able to have a hand in directing this one was, was a treat. And having it about wrestling didn't didn't hurt either. So, no doubt, <laughs> no pleasure. doubt. I was a big wrestling fan, so I really appreciated all that, all the wrestling tropes. You know, I was a big WWF fan before WWE. I'm talking Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Jimmy the Superfly Snooker. That's what I was into. The British Bulldogs. Yeah. The British Bulldogs are my guys. <laughs> Ethan, was there anyone in the room who, when you guys were working on this, was like, I don't know any of these references. I don't know anything about wrestling. Like, help me, guys. Help me. Was there anyone in that room that was like that? No, I think everyone had a little piece of it. I think everyone had had their own reference point of yes. some part of the wrestling. I had even went to one of the uh, recent ones and uh, was shocked to find there's no, you can't hear the commentary. Oh, it yeah. was like a silent movie. It was remarkable. I went to one to it. It was so theatrical. It was like a theater in the round play with wrestling. You could hear them do their monologues and stuff like that. There's a wrestler named Austin Creed, and he dressed up as Rufio <gasps> for wow. one of the matches. Oh, that's amazing. And then, that's you know, my Twitter amazing. blew up. Everyone's doing this video. And then I tweeted back at him. 
And he so cool. Then he ended up sending me tickets when they got to the Staples Center. And I went to go see him. And I've been a fan, of course, a bigger fan when I was a, a real young kid. So it was my first time seeing it in real life. And it was crazy. I, I didn't know what to expect. It was wild. It was definitely more theatrical than I could have imagined. And, and the fans, it's a form of theater, but also with this like wrestling as stuff. And you totally hit a lot of these cues in, in this episode, which is wonderful. Yeah, we tried. And we had a great script from Mike Martino, And whenever he was the writer, it was a little bit easier on us as we boarded the thing, because I think he's an animator himself. And a lot of the stuff that he wrote was really visual and we could really oh, nice. sink our oh, teeth cool. into it. So this one was like just a dream come true to work on just because I think it, it flowed really nice and uh, came out nice, too. So Oh, yeah. How many episodes? I was did... just going to find out what was going on with Ethan before he even came into the Avatar first. Yeah, I worked at Film Roman as did Mike and Brian. I think they were on King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. And I was on The Simpsons. Nice. And you know, a little thing they call we call it The Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was great. And um, there was a pilot film floating around. And Lauren McMullen was one of the directors on Simpsons. She had this pilot that Mike and Brian had created. It was making the rounds. And we watched it in our office. And I was like, this is like right up my alley. It looks like Studio Ghibli. Oh, yeah. They had moss painted on the rocks yes. and I've never seen anyone backgrounds that look that good. And I'm like, man, I would love to work on this. They were staffing up. They were looking for people. And, you know, I was kind of set in my ways at Simpsons and I'd been there so long. You're kind of afraid to make that step to another kind of uh, a project. Yeah. But just seeing how beautiful their pilot film was and it touched all those notes, you know, Hong Kong cinema and then the Japanese animation. Right. You know, I was like, this is, I got to take a chance and take a test. So. I ended up taking a storyboard test and they liked it, luckily. And so I got in. I got in. Awesome. Episode three, I think it was my first one to work on as an assistant. Oh, wow. So So different than The Simpsons. You're so right. I mean, The Simpsons is obviously brilliant in its own right. It's just visually, it is completely different. And I can say that having zero experience as an animator, but I am savvy enough to know Boy, anybody could tell those are wildly, wildly different styles. I mean, I think somebody else that we had on the podcast, maybe in the writing world, like a John O'Brien or someone um, similarly, it was like, it's scary when you are working on a show that you're just very comfortable in and it's a successful show. You get that feeling of security that we so seldom get as artists in show business and to sort of go, oof boy, what's it going to mean if I jump? Risky, Ethan. Risky. It's a risk. It was a good risk. It was a great risk. risk. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned Studio Ghibli and how influential that was. So a lot of people, I mean, I recently went back and watched Spirited Away. I don't forget what year it came out, but it was so big. It was in movie theaters and all that stuff. And then seeing it again, these haunting images. It's this feeling that you get from some of this Japanese animation that's very unlike the American animation we grew up with. Sometimes it takes a few times to watch like, for it to sink in. Like, why am I digging this? Because I, I, it's the story's structure is totally different. But the images sometimes don't make sense, but also are so beautiful and then end up making sense. And there are things in Avatar that do remind me of Studio Ghibli, definitely. So I, I love that inspiration. I love it too. And I think Mike and Brian have cited that film as a big inspiration. Yeah. And, you know, just on that note, it's like the feeling I would get from those, too, is like the sense of place and like there's a reality. They would spend time on, on little yes. quiet scenes. Oh, yeah. And show oh, nature yeah. And, and like not rushing it. And it's like, man, this feels real to me, even though it's, I'm looking at drawings. And I think totally 
we tried yeah. to get some of that in Avatar for sure. You know? That's so well said. It's so I true. I reviewed that film. Me and my girlfriend did like a thing every week called Money Cinema Club, and we did that film. And I was like, yo, this film, you guys, yo, no animation film in America is going to be like the girls falling in love with the guy, Haku, who has a strange haircut, whatever. End of the movie. <laughs> he remembers his name. He's like, I'm the river. What? You're the river? Now I remember who I am. Haku, yeah. that's the end of this love story. That dude's the river. But you believe it. <laughs> Although his last girlfriend turned on the moon, very Studio Someone's Ghibli. Someone's the moon. Someone's the moon. I'm in love with hmm. you. Guess what? I'm the moon. Foreshadow <sighs> report. I don't know where we've had that episode. Whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Foreshadow and backshadow report. I like a backshadow report. I'm on board back for backshadow report. report. Uh, and so, Ethan, you said you got lucky with the Toph episode, but were there episodes that you thought like, oh, maybe I'll end up getting direct this one and it just didn't come out that way, but you still love it as an episode? Um, I would see them right before. I think they would finish the script. Of course, the scripts were in the works before with different writers and the directors were in a rotation. So it's like, I think there was three or four of us. And so you would get every fourth script or every third script would be yours. And it, that's why I say look of the draw. So it just, you get what you get. And that's the one you do. But, you know, you, you're looking at the other directors and you're like, oh, they got a great Zuko episode. So you're kind of like, and this one, a new character, a new season. And um, I think it was just the second one I directed. You killed it with this one. I mean, you got Blind oh, Bandit. Thanks. I mean, you get the introduction of one of the gang, the last member of the gang coming in. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's a little heartfelt, too. There's a little moment at the end of this one that's a little emotional. You oh, know? yeah. Totally. She's talking to her parents and it's like, it's like, man, you really feel. Yeah. You really get to know Toph, and I think it's written so well, and it, it really comes through. What a great character. So unlikely, right? It's like right. an animation that there's, a, there's a, a character with this much dimension. And even within this one little episode, there's so many complex twists and turns of like what's going on, who she is, what's happening. It's a complex episode for, I don't know, what is this, 23 minutes of storytelling? Yeah. Yeah, it goes by quick. I mean, I really love the part where um, she's playing the guards. You know, she's she's overprotected by her parents, and um, right, she acts like it, like plays it up that she is a guards, guards, blind girl to them. And I'm like, man, that is great. And her voice changes a little bit, and mm -hmm. then you know, but we we see her. We know she's super tough and like a master of earthbending. So it's this great back and forth. She can uh, display all that. Absolutely. Do you have, uh, speaking of Toph, do you have favorite characters and, and is Toph one of them? Toph is definitely one of them. I heard um, you said someone got a cool Zuko episode. Zuko, eh, yeah. You <laughs> filed that away super quick. I filed that one away. <laughs> What's the one, and I storyboarded this, where you're you're on a mountaintop and it's raining and I forget the episode and you're crying. You're and like, I'm what? yelling? Yeah, and you're like, why have you forsaken me? Kind yes, of, kind of I do remember that. I remember doing that episode. I was in Toronto. Doing, I remember yelling at the top of my lungs doing that episode and seeing on the screen. It's so good. It, and, and when I was storyboarding that, I took that stuff home sometimes to finish it. And I was storyboarding that on my couch. I was like crying. <sighs> like, I was like, I got to get the emotion into the drawing. So and I was like, good. I was feeling Zuko's yes. pain there. And it's like, I hope this gets through to the animation. That's the trick. It's like these ideas have follow through. And it's like the stuff that we plan out. Right. And, yeah. And, you know, another set of artists is going to grab onto this and animate this. And, and it's fun to see when it comes through and it works. So. Right. But yeah, Zuko, definitely another dimensional character. That I love that about animation. You know, I tell folks all the time when we talk about the thing at cons or people that ask me about like Zuko and the character and they, and they, you know, they really 
love that I'm a voice Zuko. And I always say, you know, I share this performance and this character with the with the artists. Unlike acting on screen where we always share it with the rest of the all the artists, yeah. production design, wardrobe, everything. We all share the product that comes at the end, but never so much as in when we're doing animation. And it's like, you're appreciating the character, but it's like you just said, you're feeling the emotion as the storyboard artist, the director, and, and we're all kind of putting it together. I'm just doing the voice. Other people are doing the images and everything that's bringing the performance together. And I really feel like we all share this character in a lot of ways and how it was brought to the audience. So I love that. I love the way you're talking about it. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's all of ours. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a great team too, working on this project. Unlike anything I've worked on, actually the vision, Mike and Brian, they were totally clear throughout what they wanted and we're doing something new. And it's like your talent, the voice acting. And it's like, man, so you don't know when you're working on it, but afterwards you can look back and um, you're like, this is a special project, you know? And totally. Just grateful to work on this. So I think everybody across the board has that same backshadowing. This is a backshadow report. Backshadow report. <laughs> and Dante's talking about all the conversations we have with people at conventions. You know, shipping plays a very right. significant role in some of those conversations. Did you have or do you have any Avatar ships that you particularly like? I kind of liked Suki and Sokka. Yes. Yeah. Good ship. Yes. Kyoshi Warrior. They share a kiss, a I think. great ship. Yeah, yeah I think that was my favorite one. It was like kind of like the unrequited. Sokka get all the girls, though. She was good Sokka for him. Sokka has a lot of shipping. I mean, he didn't have any bending powers, heart bending. My guy was heart bending yeah. all over the dang place. Your guy was. <laughs> he absolutely was. I love that ship. That's great. And then, D, you want to ask Ethan the, the question we got to ask? The question we ask everybody, Ethan, is if you can bend, what bender would you be? What element would you bend? Choose wisely. Hmm. I think it's going to be a quick answer. It's going to be fire. There you go. Oh, yeah, got a fire, fire nation stand bender up. in the house. Fire bender go. stand up. Fire nation in the house. Uh-huh. <laughs> and why? From your perspective, why would you do fire? It's just from an aesthetic point of view. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks the best, I think. And, Fierce. Um, you can, yeah. you can keep yourself warm. Keep yourself warm. Uh, keep yourself warm. Zuko used that many warm. a times swimming through cold, icy places. Had to keep himself warm. Yeah. yeah. You can clear a path. <laughs> I think that's the most um, dynamic. They're yeah. all great. They're all know, great. I was going to say. Great. But yeah, I would have to go with that one just because the visual of that. It's, it's so impressive. You know? We support I mean, that. We person. love that over here. You're an artist. You're a visual person. We're with that. That's right. All right. Well, let's get into this recap very quickly. Dante, remind us where we were in book two before we get into the Blind Bandit, because it's been a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, we had James C., the cabbage merchant himself, on to dig into Avatar Day with us, which was awesome. In that episode, we learned about Avatar Kyoshi and also saw a different perspective on how some Earth Kingdom villages don't necessarily love the Avatar. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that Aang is still very much in need of an earthbending teacher. And that does take us into the Blind Bandit, where, just for a very quick recap, we know that he's been looking for this earthbending teacher. And here we end up at this tournament. We've already teased that out with our various wrestling references and celebrations uh, since we've been talking so far. And he does end up discovering who Toph is. He instantly wants her to be his teacher. It doesn't look like it's going to work out. Or is it? I think we should just dig in. What do you think, Dante? You want to open us up and uh, see let's where go? We are. It's tough time, you guys. It's tough time. We open up this episode in an Earth Kingdom village with Sokka debating whether to buy a satchel. <laughs> 
when he finally decides to go for it, a guy gives a flyer to Ang Guitar for Master Youth Earthbending Academy. There's even a coupon on the back, <laughs> which is funny. Could this be Ang's new earthbending teacher? Apparently, Ang's going to give it a shot. The first lesson's free because we see him at the academy dressed in a pretty cool training outfit. Yeah, I like that. Which he immediately makes less cool by sticking a finger into his ear than sniffing it. <laughs> we also see more of his arrow tattoos on his arms and legs, which we don't see that often. Yeah. When Master Yu cool. comes in, we also realize that Aang is like two feet taller than any other little kids for their first lesson. <laughs> Aang immediately obliterated by the kid across from who slams a huge rock into Aang. By the end, Aang's definitely sure Master Yu is not his new earthbending teacher. But Team Avatar does find out about a tournament, Earth Rumble 6, where Great apparently name. the best Earthbenders will be. Shout out to Katara, who creatively freezes the two guys in the alleyway. She was faking like she was flirting with them, and then she was like totally overpowered them. She's OP. You ready to find an Earthbending teacher? Because we're going to Earth Rumble 6. How'd you get them to tell you? Oh, a girl has her ways. <laughs> And I love that she freezes them sideways. I know how that happens. She could just freeze them to the ground, but the fact that she freezes them to either wall is so great. That was Brian. It's a cool thing because his theory was like, when it melts, they're going to just drop. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I think we had drawn it differently in the the board. Oh, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and he's like, like, yeah, it should be like this. So it was all thought he thought that all out. Suspense. That's so good. But I like how Katara's like, hey, strong guys. She chases them. Strong guys. (laughs) That's so good. It's so good. You're so right. It's a gift that keeps on giving. They're going to flop to the ground. It's going to be a perfect like end to the the perfect thing. Um, Okay, so from here, we go to this very awesome stadium. It's located inside a mountain, as you would hope a good earthbending stadium would be. There's a very wonderful, real pro wrestling vibe right away. We have the host, Shin Fu, who kind of explains the rules. And it's simple. You just got to knock your opponent out of the ring. Boom, you win. Katara's not that impressed. She thinks it's going to be like, you know, I think she says a bunch of guys hurling rocks at each other. And we see our first face off again. Oh, the animation in this, Ethan, so, so superb. The boulder is going up against the big bad hippo. And there's some great <laughs> smack talk from the boulder. Major shout out. Got to go to Mick Foley for his Mick Foley. VO shout work. Mick Foley. Yeah. Listen up, hippo. You may be big. But you ain't bad. The boulder's gonna win this in a landslide. Hippo And cannot forget our friend Kevin Michael Richardson as the hippo and just all the creative ways that the fighters use earthbending. Ethan, I would love to hear from, you know, more conversations you guys had, if you had them, about getting creative with how the different wrestling styles would work and who the different wrestlers would be and stuff. Yeah, they were so cool. There was a guy called the Gopher. I wanted to see more. Uh, that guy from the ground. Character. That guy was strange. I, I want yeah. to see that Hippo whole team. Guy. What's up with the Fire Nation guy representing the Fire Nation hard? Earthbender representing Fire yeah. Nation. He was the patriot. Wait, but, did the guy representing the firebending, did he ever firebend? Could he firebend? No, I think it was just an act. Because when he walks yeah. up, his stairs like disappear <laughs> the rock. See, he's totally from WWF reference. The heel. So yeah. each of these, there was even like an Ultimate Warrior looking guy. I forget what he Yeah, was. there was an Ultimate Warrior looking guy. There was. I'd love to hear more because I don't remember if we ever like actually established, if you're watching the show, maybe if you go to Wiki or the after 
Avatar Wiki or something. But, you know, we've got the Fire Nation guy. Who was the gecko? Because we've got the sort of Mexican wrestling represented. That was the yeah. gecko. That, That's the gecko? He had the green mask. Gecko had the luchador mask. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he would jump awesome. around on all fours. And he was up on those the crystals that lit right, the cave. Right, right. Perfect. When, when he fights Toph. Perfect. And, of course, the gopher, he's kind of self-explanatory. He the gopher. He looked very Legend of Korra almost. He had like a steampunk kind of thing going. Right. Yeah, he had a steampunk thing. That's right. But I loved how, you know, The Rock defeats the first guy. And then you think, oh, the blind bandit's coming up next because we know it's a blind bandit episode. The boulder. The boulder. Boulder. <laughs> but you guys layered so many other characters in where I'm like, there's no way they have time to do this many characters which makes the tournament like so much more robust. But you think on a regular show to be like, okay, he beats one person and then we're going to get the champion that we really want to meet. But no, not y'all. Y'all like, we're going to throw in five, six extra people in the next 45 seconds here. I was like, what? <laughs> this is wild. Right. And it's it's just a montage. So montage. Like tease them. Oh, montage. He, and you get to see them fight in Act 3. Yeah, then they come back in Act 3 and they really True. get to see them. Each one with how they fare against Toph properly. True. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I like that too. It's like those are my favorite characters also is like the side characters yes. that look interesting and you never get to. It's like the Boba Fett theory. Leave them wanting more. You tease these mysterious other characters and you're like, who are they? It's like, keep thinking about them. Absolutely. I also want to do a qu- quick but major shout out real share me the details moment but within that montage and it's like it sort of fades in and fades out to a different part of the montage as it's happening but you guys have the boulder flex his pecs and i love that moment so much i had to watch it like three times i was laughing so hard because it happens so quickly and again there's it's sort of fading into a different scene but it is gold i love that detail yeah i think justin ridge storyboarded all that and um, he's great in that a lot of those expressions like when the boulder (laughs) that's just in those expressions and they and it's great because the animators picked up on it and it carried through to the final animation and and you get in this episode a lot of like broader acting than normal so it's so it's very comedic some of these wrestlers so it just looks great and it's animated so good and there was an annie award the year for achievement and um director you from studio jm uj mound he won that for this episode. So he oh, was like nice. the animation director. And I was oh, so wow. proud. I was like, oh, he got recognized for doing a great job. Because it does. It's like certain scenes in this one are like, are not rotoscoped, but it looks, it's very fluid, yeah. observed animation, you know? Yeah. So, oh, that's so cool. Um, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Any award winning episode, The Blind Bandit. And speaking of awards, here we see the boulder just dominate everyone. And it turns out he's not even the current champion. He's not the current champion. He has to fight the current champion. The current champion is some tiny person who holds this giant champion's belt. And we find out it's this character, the blind bandit. Right, Ethan? That's right. Our little defenseless blind girl, as Uh her dad calls her. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) She can't really be blind. It's just part of her character, right? I think she is. I think she is going down! Amazing. So there's a great exchange between the boulder and the blind bandit, you know, as he expresses doubt about being attacked by a, a little blind girl. Uh-huh. And she eggs him on, you know, by calling him the pebble. Funny. That he's scared to fight her. And hears her yeah. laugh while she's taunting him. And we get a cool look flashback of the, the swamp episode. He's like, that's her. He knows he's heard that laugh before. Yeah. A little back shadow there for Aang himself in the episode. Yeah. And the fight begins and we get to experience the way that the blind bandit sees the boulder. And this is a great, it's great. sequence. Huge. And this 
Brian Konetsko storyboarded this. And um, I remember him taking pictures of his hands, you know, when Toph's doing that thing where she's flipping her hands towards the camera. Toph vision, right? The Toph vision. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's Toph vision. It, you know, there's echolocation for like bats. Totally. This is like vibratory. She feels the vibration. So right. if you step on the ground, she can feel it. And also when she steps, she sends out like a radius of where she can actually see. So really she is not blind. You know, she, she can totally see her environment unless you're off the ground she can see, actually see more yeah. she can actually see more and, and certainly anticipate things that yeah we would anticipate never dream of. so she's never endangered really right. unless someone's off the ground you know like ang later i used to read daredevil comics and it remind me the daredevil i love that like the daredevil comics when he'd hit his little staff and then he could see the vibrations and i was like oh yep it's the top vision it's awesome she don't need no staff yeah. She's in it, yeah, and it's a great uh, way so you can see what how she sees, and it, it was cool how it was in black and white, totally, and a lot of slow motion in this episode, and and just a side note, um, her style, you know how we patterned water bending and fire bending on different actual styles of kung fu. Sifu Manny came, Sifu Manny, yes, and uh, did a seminar with us, and they filmed, and it's a uh, praying mantis style would be yeah. tough style. Yeah. Beautiful. So that's a real legit. So some of those moves are like. File that one in. We shot footage of him and sent it and storyboarded him. So that's why she has her unique movement that's different so from great. everyone else. So it's so, so uh, I love that. And then Aang realizes it's all about waiting and listening because Bumi told him that previously. Yeah. Right. To find his earthbending teacher. Now Shinfu offers a sack of gold pieces to anyone willing to fight the blind bandit. And Aang's in. He just jumps in. Toph talks some smack about Aang. <laughs> She's sassy from the start of meeting her, this girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. She's got so much attitude. Oh, yes. You know, he thought this would be the best opportunity to, to talk to the bandit, but he's wrong. And um, he ends up using his airbending to defend himself against her and uh, it knocks her out of the ring pretty fast because yeah. she wasn't able to see him in that, in that split second yeah. that he jumped off into the air, kind of floaty. You yeah. see her look in the animation. She kind of looks around. So he's off the, her radar for a split second. And that's how he was able to do that. So she's off down below and she just, you know, in a huff walks Ugh. off. Poor Aang and poor Toph. You really feel for both of them, right? Because Aang's like, what? No, I didn't come back. I absolutely did not want this to happen. And Toph's like, thanks. Thank you. I was the champion. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, he tries to explain it. And, you know, she's not having any of it. And then yeah. um, Shin Fu hands over the money and the belt and... Uh, I think we leave that act and, you know, Aang just feels terrible. Do people really want to see two little girls fighting out here? I don't really want to fight you. I want to talk to you. It's like the worst outcome for each of them in that moment. The last thing Toph wanted to have happen happened. And the last thing Aang wanted to have happen happened. So they're both super sad. And I, you know what? We got to we gotta scrape some of this off because it's very upsetting. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to see where we are. Hopefully Aang and Toph will have cooled off a little bit. We're back. And the saga of Sokka's bag purchase continues. And now he's happy he bought it and it matches his belt perfectly. That's like not a B story or a C story. It's like a G story, right, Ethan? I had to have it explained by Mike. I love Mike, it. who wrote it. I was like, "What is this?" And he and he was like, "You know, it's like a man bag." And there was some store that had it that and he had that, and I was like, "It's a real thing." That's why, if you notice that opening shot, it's just there's nothing right. in the store uh-huh. except that one bag on a pedestal. We, we shot so this fancy. 17 years ago, but now the man bag is everywhere. You prolific. can get a man bag right. prolific and embraced everywhere. as it should be. Another thing that I think we we, yeah. we as a show helped influence. I think man buns 
and that's right. bags. There you go. Ushered it in. Ushered it in. So Aang's got to find the blind bandit. They start with the Earth Banding Academy. These guys there tell Team Avatar that the blind bandit's identity is a mystery. But Aang realized he should describe the girl he saw in his vision, a girl in a white dress and a pet flying boar. Turns out the flying boar is a symbol of the super rich Bay Fung family. That's right, the Bay Fung, which the city's named after. That's how rich they are. There's a great moment as they leave where Katara and Sokka give off some Water Tribe vibes. Water Tribe. I always think of it as Water Tribe <laughs> out, and Jack DeSena always says, Dante is just Water Tribe. I'm like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Boulder and Shinfu discuss how Aang never touched the blind bandit. It's actually a really reasonable conclusion they come to when you think about it. She must have lost on purpose in some kind of setup with Aang. And that won't fly. Mm -hmm. Katara, Sok, and Aang find the Beifung residence and sneak in and are immediately caught by the girl in the white dress who calls Aang one of our favorite nicknames for him, Twinkle Toes. Yeah. Aang and Katara try to explain why they're there, why they need her help, but she just tells them to leave. Yeah, and inside the Beifong's mansion, you know, we have Master Yu consulting with Toph's parents about these lessons that he's apparently been giving her. And we see very quickly, her parents have no idea what's going on. They're obviously very overprotective of her. Aang has decided, uh, meanwhile, that if sneaking in doesn't work, maybe he should just show up and announce himself. He's the Avatar, after all. What, what could go wrong? So, indeed, they are welcomed in with open arms. They sit down. They have this gorgeous meal with the Beifongs. They have this very dignified conversation about the war it's kind of stilted uh and and then ang also is telling them about how he needs to find a teacher master Yu is still there he was there uh, consulting with the parents so he is immediately recommended there in person but ang is clearly sort of angling for toff but toff keeps trying to get him to shut up under the table so she keeps earth bending at him to try to get him to stop talking uh and eventually he ends up retaliating by sneezing on not just her, but everyone, uh, which is a huge mess. But again, their hosts are very gracious about it. They invite Team Avatar to stay the night, which they do. And then, you know, a little later in the evening, we find out Toph does want a truce. Aang and Toph kind of separate from the others. They go out for an evening walk. And she does explain to him, you know, how she sees um, and that she envies Team Avatar's life, frankly. Where else am I supposed to go? You could come with us. Yeah. You guys get to go wherever you want. No one telling you what to do. That's the life. It's just not my life. And then suddenly they are, as we feared they might be, they're ambushed. The Boulder and Shin Fu and the entire gang are there to get this money back to right this wrong that they perceive has happened. And uh, Katara and Sokka end up discovering this ransom note in place of where Toph and Aang should be. And, you know, Sokka, never one to look a gift horse in the mouth, is still super excited to have the boulders autograph. So he clearly is not that worried. I'm sure he thinks everything's going to be fine. And in the meantime, he's got the boulders autograph. I know. And can I point out one thing, too, Mario, with that I thought about? Please. Yet another person who caught <laughs> the Poor Avatar. Zuko. It's Everyone's so catching this avatar, not Zuko. All he needed was those, those metal. Shinfu coming out of nowhere just catches the avatar. It's a real painful point. Let's, let's continue. I it's, just wouldn't want to point that out. You just needed one of those metal cages, Zuko. Cage, a net. Net, I need something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ethan, tell us what's going on. Obviously, the Beifong family is happy to pay this ransom, right? Right. So at the arena, you sends over the money and... 
Toffa's returned to her parents and they're walking away, but bad guys are keeping Aang and Katara runs after Toph as she's walking. You know, she needs her help. She begs Toph to help. We need an earthbender. We need you. My daughter is blind. She is blind and tiny and helpless and fragile. She cannot help you. Yes, I can. Toph comes back to face off with the wrestlers and proceeds to single-handedly defeat them all. So good. In the meantime, Sokka's trying to release Aang from his cage. He's, he's banging on it with a rock. Master Yu and Toph's dad are amazed. I think they're sitting in the bleachers watching this as each wrestler gets dispatched by Toph. And she's just laying waste to everyone. It's like a huge, so she creates like a huge dust I love smoke how screen. you guys create that yeah. dust you know, they can't. They can't, they they can't, can't see. see and she can see yeah. everybody. Yeah. And she just walks right in. And so it's kind of kind of creepy. You know, that, that, I like that. That's kind of like. Super cool. She's so powerful. Yeah. It's like scary for those big guys. You know? oh, totally. Well said. Master Yu admits, you know, she's the greatest earthbender he's ever seen. And um, after the battle's over, Toph explains to her parents back at the house, you know, she's much stronger than they knew. And she's tired of being kept a secret from the world. She's 12 years old and she's never had a real friend. You know, that's the mm. emotional part that, yeah. that gets me. You know, it's like, ah. Oh, she's right. 12. When they leave. Dad kicks out the Avatar gang, and uh, you see Toph crying. There's a little tear. She's like, see ya, Aang. But Toph's dad hears her out. So that's the thing. Here's a little bit. Toph's dad hears her out. He says he's realized something. So you think he's agreeing with her. Yeah. Everything's going to change. And it just gets worse. You know, he's like, (sighs) now you're going to get 24-hour security. There's no way you're getting out of our sight. And then the Avatar team is kicked out uh, of the household. So that's when she's like, as they're walking away, you see the little tear from Toph. Yeah. It is kind of that thing with a family member, like where you love them, you love your family member, you know they love you, but the way when you try to communicate something to them, I'm just speaking from our side of things because that's what happens in the story. We're on, we're sort of on quote unquote Toph's side. But I think, I mean, I've certainly had that situation where I try to explain something from the heart to a family member and they're just in a different place and maybe they came from a different place. And what they say back to me makes it clear to me that we're never going to see this thing the same way. And it's heartbreaking, right? right? Because you do love that person and you you sort of bury your soul and think, okay, this might really bring us closer. Like maybe this will bring about some change. And it's like, oh no, love is not going to do that for us. Like you're still seeing this as she's in danger. And, you know, it's like, okay, we're never going to see this this the same way. Well, it's hard because she's 12. She's 12. When you're an adult, it happens also. But when you're 12, I get the parents' side for sure. And I I always, when I talk at art schools and and young artists, I talk to them, you know, when they talk to their parents or their loved ones, and they're not going to understand, you know, whatever, why you stay up all night to learn the scene or this poem means so much to your song or and I go, that's, it's okay, though. You know, they, they love you. You love them. But the, the fact of the matter is they're muggles and you're a wizard. Right. And they're never going to understand that. You should not love them yeah. any less. Just you don't yeah. need them to understand certain aspects about you. Because like, they're not going to because they're muggles. Yeah. And it's not a judgment yeah. on them. It's just what it is. But it's hard when you're 12. Well said. I get it. You're 12. It's like nobody wants their yeah. 12-year-old to go out there and save the world. That's rough, for sure. That's a good point. But I definitely echo your sentiment there, Barney. All right. What happens now, Dante? So that evening, Egg and Katara stare back towards where Toph is trapped, and Katara assures him that they'll find him somewhere else. As they get ready to fly off on Appa, they hear something. Toph! What are you doing here? My dad changed his mind. He said I was free to travel the world. 
Sakura turns the champion belt to Toph, and Toph gets even with Aang for knocking her out of the ring. And they're off. But back at the Beifong residence, Toph's dad has tasked Shinfu and Master Yu to find his daughter, who has been kidnapped by the Avatar. Mm. But for now, mm-hmm. Toph's free. Toph's joined the gang officially. <sighs> I mean... A lot. So much happened. I'm telling you. That's a lot. You're so right, Dante. I'm glad you brought back the dad perspective because I get so wrapped up in knowing where the story's going that I'm so excited for Toph and I'm, you know, you you want her to be yeah. part of the team. But you're right. It would be terrifying as a dad to think about your child that you've so carefully protected in this little totally. egg of safety, just being out there in the world What's going to happen? And of course, he always assumes she's fragile. So he's going to assume that right. she would never make this decision. You know, he's seeing his daughter the same way, no matter what he sees. And so it's like, of course, they kidnapped her. And of course, he's going to stop at nothing to get his daughter back. Yikes. And he has the money to do. <sighs> Rumble fans, get off your butts and buy your tickets now to Earth Rumble Sissa 7. All the excitement of Earth Rumble 6 plus one. You know what they say as of just now. Earth Rumble 7 is Earthbending Heaven. Featuring all your favorite Rumble personalities. The Hippo, the Gopher, Snail Man, Hopscotch, and the Purple Lollipop. Who will win the championship? Find out live by visiting earthrumble6.ekingdom backslash ticks now. It's a misunderstanding situation, but it's great how it drives the story along. And now there's like a gang going out to try to save the world and learn all the different elements. But now there's kind of this ticking bomb thing with these guys, little shifty guys, an earthbending master teacher, I guess, and a somewhat yeah. slimy long hair. This guy is hilarious. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if he comes Maybe out of a Kung Fu movie. I, there's all these films of like <laughs> images. Where'd that image come from, Ethan? I don't know. They, it reminds me of one of the, one of the characters know. from Conan. I, I, I was like, well, who is this dude? Yeah, exactly. I think it's from one of Brian's sketches. He would have ideas for these and then show them to us in the, in the, in the handout meeting of the script and then Character designers would grab onto that. and So it might be from something I, I wasn't aware of. It reminds me of a lot of Razor Ramon. reminds me of some wrestlers with long, yeah. the long, greasy hair. <laughs> Razor Ramon. That's right. Those guys. <laughs> I, I love that feeling, too. The, the, and, you know, it's like they've released the bounty hunters after him. Yeah. So it's like Toph joins yeah. the team and it's like, uh-oh, what are these guys going to do? Yep. There's just some heavy uh, bad guys coming after him. So. Yeah. Although, I mean, think about these guys. They they got paid some money, but like, we know what this girl can do. I mean, she beat our whole gang. Everybody. You want yeah. us to go after her? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You got to be very brave Ending if you're going to keep up after that. I think we need an army. <laughs> They're going to need a bigger army. Yeah. Exactly. Need a the, bigger uh, army. I want to backtrack once on thoughts about Toph yeah. and her dad. Yeah. I think Please. it's a testament to Toph's character, too, where it's like her determination to kind of live her own life at such yeah. a young age. It's like she was going to this underground fighting. She's very strong-willed and it's like she kind of knows who she is. So it's like she's following her path, her destiny. It's like right. she's making her own path. Right. So she knows to go with these other kids. And it's like, I think that's one of the things that makes Toph such a great character. It's like, man, she's like, totally. she's so many things. It's multifaceted, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting. Absolutely. There are multifaceted, fascinating themes that we deal with in this whole series that may go against the grain of animation series at this time and before. Like, this is one, like you just said, going against your parents' wishes. That's not a normal 
theme that cartoons on the afternoons after kids yeah. come home from school are watching. Especially like, to this one degree. One of the things I learned is like, go against your parents' wishes. Like, what? That's, I mean, there's been a few things that we've noted throughout the podcast, Ethan, where I was like, that's a weird thing we're throwing in. The, not, I wouldn't say subversive, yeah. but it, against the grain, you know? Yeah. Right. Got to trust the storytelling. Unorthodox. Yeah, for sure. Could have been under the radar. It could have been under the radar. Just one of those strange things. You're like, is that what they're saying in the episode? Like, uh, well, that's what they did. (laughs) You just have to have faith that the overall values of the story are going to get your kids where they need to be. Um, Real quick, I just wanted to offer up a quick one question quiz. Uh, We talked about Twinkle Toes, but there is another thing that Toph calls Aang in this episode. And it goes by real quick. And I just wondered if either of you remembered what it was. It's our one question quiz. Hmm. Oh, I, I remember. I don't, what is it? Oh, what was your guess? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> like, At first I like, thought Twinkle Toes, but it's not. It's like that's after. She calls him uh, Fancy Dancer. Yes! Fancy, Fancy dancer. dancer. That's right. He does call her Fancy Fancy dancer. What's your name? Fancy dancer. It's so good. I like that. It's so good. Fancy dancer, so good. Fancy dancer. And again, I just want to say thanks again, Ethan and the whole team for creating such a wonderful group of wrestlers because we really don't have a lot of animals in this episode. Everyone knows we love to track those hybrid animals on the show. Right. And this isn't about that. This episode is about Toph. It's about those wrestlers. And uh, luckily, I didn't even feel the sting of not having any new animals because I was so enraptured by the awesomeness of all of the wrestlers, including the ones, as you very sagely pointed out, that you don't get to see enough of. So you wish right. that you could see more and it leaves you wanting more. <laughs> I love that. Um, there is one. Oh, sorry, Ethan, go ahead. There yeah. is one. You missed it. I did? In the montage. What is it? Yep. Oh, what are they called? It's a giant mole. Oh, the badger moles. Yes. It's You're a ba- right. giant badger mole. You're he, right. We don't, the they're Zamboni. not new to yeah, us. Yeah, he was a Zamboni. Yeah. That's right. He's not new, so I like I sort of dismissed him, and that's not fair, oh, okay. him or her. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, no new ones. But I do love those badger moles. I, I did love that love they had the, the Zamboni badger mole. We all know now that that's the original earthbending, earthbending master yeah. that created the whole thing. Right. So I was like, they must be pretty cool if they're tight with the badger moles. The badger moles like, I'll cut you for you. <laughs> Good I mean, point. Good it's point. It's got to be a pretty legit tournament if the badger moles are kind of like point. signing off on this. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. Let's talk about who most valuable bending and non-bending in the episode before we wrap up. Thoughts on most valuable bending. I mean, I'll be very surprised if we don't give it to a certain character that we've just met, but I'm certainly open to it if there's a good argument against it. Anybody not no, want to vote for Toph, especially when tough. she's beating up but all which, of those guys? Which time? Which one? Which one? Ethan, what do you things, think? You know? I think it's tough too. I, I was thinking about this, I, um, and I think it's at the end. I think when she's fighting Shin Fu, yeah, and she makes that shield. You know, he's kicking all these rocks at oh, her, yeah. and then she uses the actual shield. She kicks the whole shield back at him. Yeah, that's really saying a lot. When you're just like, "Oh, your thing." Yeah, let me kick that. Right, Impro- improvisation in the moment. I think it's like, man, she's like super high level at 12 years old, and it's like, love it. It's just gonna get more and more. So I, I, I think you got to hand it to Toph. Uh, I think we're all in. I think we are all in, right, Dante? 100% in with that. And then for most valuable non-bending, that could be a different cup of tea altogether. I think it's her making that cloud. I don't know if that's bending or not. When she made that big cloud, I can make a cloud, and I'm not an earthbender, so maybe that's not bending. (laughs) Because I can make a cloud of dust, y'all. I can do it. (laughs) And when she did that, 
It was very valuable. It's a good quote. It was very valuable in the moment. I'm not sure that it's not part of earthbending, but it did remind me of when Aang I can uh, do it, creates Barney. that cloud. I can do when, it. Don't you change the subject, because I'm telling you right now, this is reminds me of when Aang saves Zuko. And Zuko saves Aang in the episode that still makes me cry the most, the Blue Spirit, when he gets that dust going. So that's a good, like, it's kind of a callback to, yeah. you know, Aang, as, er- Aang as Airbender being able to create that dust cloud and then Toph as Earthbender being able to create that dust cloud. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah. Most valuable non-bending. I don't know. I was going to go more. Don't tell him that that counts as not bending. I think we all either. Know you're like that. that's, that's pretty good. Part of bending. <laughs> I think it's really good. I think it is good. We all can bend a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say it's. I'd have to watch it again, but I don't know if it's Sokka or Katara's. Uh, they find out information in this. They find they're finding out where to go. You know. Oh, that's important. Oh, too. that's a good point. Those can be important in guiding Aang. Yeah. They're kind of taking care of Aang through the whole series. And it's like, who knows? Maybe if they didn't enroll in that school or get yeah. that coupon, it's like they wouldn't have found Toph. That's a good point. So man. it's all, you know, because Sokka getting that bag <laughs> led them <laughs> if in that you, town. Yes. If you could reverse engineer that into the most valuable non bending decision being that Sokka bought that man purse, I will stand by you. Come what may. Satchel. I'm all for it going to the satchel. That would make me so happy because it's so absurd. Satchel. But it leads to a lot of stuff. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes people complain about my shopping, and but sometimes the shopping could be the most valuable oh, non-bending moment of your day. It. I love it. It's like when Iroh wanted to go. They ended up finding the pirates who had helped them get to Aang because Iroh wanted to go shopping and buy tchotchkes and trinkets. So it's true. Yeah. It's the second time a man going shopping has led us somewhere very important in the show. <laughs> Ethan... What a delight and a joy. I feel like we, I mean, we would Thank never you, have gotten the inside info that we got on this spectacularly special and beloved episode without you here. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing and letting us feel like we're a little bit a part of the making of the episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And um, you are a part of the episodes by doing this and, and Dante by being Prince Zuko, you know. Oh, so thank like, you so much. I, I feel honored to, to be a part of this. You know, I, I like that you guys are actually doing a deep dive into these episodes and um there's a lot to enjoy still you know oh gosh yeah um so yes thank you can people check out anything that you worked on or that you're excited about or that are following on social media anything like that and if there's not like if you're just like no just please rewatch avatar and love it that's fine too well yeah i think that's it i think just rewatch avatar if you enjoy it and um yeah there's stuff you see on repeat viewings you know i just noticed stuff watching it last night as well so I love it. You heard it. The director of the episode still notices stuff. I love it. Come on. I still notice stuff. Yeah. Amazing. But yeah, that's my advice would, would be um, I have nothing to, to go check out except these episodes. Watch more wrestling, you guys. That's right. Watch more Watch wrestling. more wrestling. My two firebenders, I thank you so much for uh, firebending your thoughts and hearts with me. And uh, we will all talk to you next time on the podcast. Fire Nation out. Fire Nation out. Thanks for listening to Avatar Brave the Elements. And make sure to subscribe and please leave us a review. It really helps the podcast so much. And me and Janet really appreciate it. Next week, we're so excited to have our two dads back to talk about one of the most famous characters in all of the Avatarverse, Toph Beifong. You can follow me on social media at the JV Club on Instagram and at Janet Varney on Twitter. And I'm at Dante Bosco on both of those. We'll see you next Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.